and welcome to X-Rated Movies. A podcast by two guys who used to date and now they don't. My name is Ryan Whedon. My name is Matt Fisher. And we're here to give you a thumbs up for press and play. Yeah. Thumb right up the old <laughs> podcast keister. Boom. <laughs> I hope you're ready for that. We're going to wiggle around for 45 minutes till we find that oral sweet spot. <laughs> he said oral. What's up, Matt? Uh, nothing. Um, how's the new Maze Runner movie? <laughs> I haven't gotten around to it yet. Oh, yeah? You haven't found uh, a private time yet? Yeah, that's not one that I, I like to uh, watch with friends, necessarily. <laughs> I know you're, it's like lights off, a lot of essential oils, <laughs> candles. Soft music playing in the background. I don't know. The boys in this movie are a whole, like, five years older than the first I one. Know. I know. Maybe even... they've aged out of your demographic. <laughs> I don't even know the plot anymore. I couldn't tell you what the Scorch Trials was about. <laughs> I couldn't tell you what the first one was about, and I've seen that one. Yeah, this one's called, like, Death Cure, or Cure for Death, or something. I don't know. I don't know. I'll get to it. I did see that it was streaming on one of the services that I subscribed to, and I, was, and I almost clicked on it. I probably clicked on something smart and arty since then instead, mm. but, you know. <laughs> Who am I kidding? I probably watched Rick and Morty. <laughs> <laughs> That's sort of smart and arty. Yeah. Yeah. Smarty. Smarty. Their homages are well played. True, true, true. And uh, the humor is rapid fire and being funny is hard. Yeah. Oh, my God. And uh, I mean, we were at that variety show last night. That's right. So I was going to say, speaking of, of, you know, people who do humor and comedy as a thing, <laughs> we, went, we were uh, at the Weird and Awesome show with M. Montgomery every first sunday of the month at annex theater Mm -hmm. and we were there because uh those conversation pieces podcast guys had us made a video of us playing heartthrob heartthrob the new game from milton bradley where you get to pick from gorgeous guys yeah the four 30 somethings play a game meant for little girls and uh we made a video of it hey the 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 cover says ages for all girls who like boys (laughs) okay well you find one of those in the video (laughs) i mean you know not to toot our own horn, but 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 we killed it. Like yeah. we 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 won. It was a lot of fun. Actually, Travis won. I mean, that guy. He's Travis. Unbeat- literally, like he looks into our souls and knows what guys were attracted to. He's unbeatable. To. I don't know. I don't know what to do. Yeah. I don't know how to get to get into his head there. Like he doesn't just like win by a little. He wins by a lot. Yeah. Every time. Yeah. I think this round he got like five or six points, and we got the rest of us each got three. Yeah. Which, out of a total of nine points, that's a substantial lead. Yeah. This so. is like soccer here. Like, <laughs> every point is a big deal. We got Liv Tyler to come in and do the announcements for whenever anybody got one right. So. <laughs> she just cried and whispered, go, <laughs> Sonny. <laughs> but yeah, that night was really fun. It yeah. was cool. It felt really safe. Yeah, everyone was there to laugh. Like, no one was there to be a dick. Like, there was not going to be a heckler in that audience. Yeah. And the audience was just ready to go for, for volunteering because a lot of the people asked for volunteers for things and everybody was up for it. It just felt very... You got a bar of soap? I got a bar of soap, which I gave to you because uh, uh, the person was encouraging you to give it to friends. And it's uh, really helped with my body odor problem. I've noticed, yeah. It also had glitter. So you see yeah. extra shimmery today. I was going to say, it did not help with my glitter problem. That stuff just never comes off. I know. It's too bad you got glitter bombed by... Um, Gary Glitter. <laughs> Ann Coulter? I don't know. Who, who's an enemy on your list? 
<laughs> well, those are the top two. <laughs> so watch out when those two join forces. <laughs> I like the idea of them plotting in a cave somewhere, just uh, tented fingers, <laughs> slowly. And Coulter's like, da da da, <laughs> throws some glitter at me. Da 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 da. Yeah. So it's on brand for her. And Coulter. She strikes me as the type that like has no genitalia. Like it's just like a Barbie doll down there. I know this doesn't quite work, but she's sort of like she's the opposite of the portrait of Dorian Gray where she's the thing that <laughs> ages and looks hideous and the portrait still looks beautiful. She's like the unwanted girlfriend in gay pornos. <laughs> like, like like the super shrewy, obnoxious wife or girlfriend that like <sighs> you know, drives the otherwise straight man to, like, go have sex with a boy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. I mean... <laughs> the Ann Coulter story. <laughs> she's such a media whore. I feel like she's just one of those people that will say the most outrageous things just so she can get invited onto some fucking talk show. And then her stupid insectoid head is spouting out hate. Yeah. It's awful. I mean, I hate disparaging women on their looks, but I think she sort of invites it. Like, I think she, like, purposely tries to like highlight her already ridiculous cheekbones just to to like make us just to bait us yeah she wants the gays to say something mean about her so that she can go on some talk show and act all hurt yeah i mean she's uncurable by queer eye standards (laughs) what would that episode be like (laughs) it would be five gay men running away from a dragon lady (laughs) Nope, I quit. <laughs> She's more of a, a serpent, I guess. Yeah. She'd make a really good uh, witch from Cinderella. If she did that on Broadway, I'd probably go see it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Maleficent, that's her name. Oh, you, oh yeah, the Sleeping Beauty one. Yeah. Sleeping Beauty, yes, 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 I'm sorry. I could see that. Oh, I was thinking the evil stepmother from Cinderella it still works. Also that, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, she really fits into that evil witch uh, category quite well. Yeah, you know. I mean, she does it to her self typecast as the the sharp-faced bitch yeah, yeah. lean in <laughs> own it meryl streep does yeah. yeah yeah yeah. when was the last time meryl streep played someone nice uh yeah good point <laughs> couldn't say sophie's choice from 1982 <laughs> yeah and even then she made the choice <laughs> so you know have you seen that movie <laughs> it, it's not like she's got her two kids like sitting on a porch swing and she's like that one's gotta go <laughs> you know that one sassed me the other day so sorry jimmy <laughs> should have thought should have thought ahead let this be a lesson should have thought of that before you gave me the raspberry <laughs> take well, him away i'm done won't finish your greens will you <laughs> well this concentration camp will show you who's who <laughs> into this shit let's, know, we let's stop a, dilly-dallying we're gonna have a lot to talk about because today we're talking about the 2013 denis villeneuve directed enemy so this is not an erotic thriller i'm just gonna come out the gates i believe it is a thriller just uh missing some of those erotic elements that um uh, 
that we want. I think I missed the mark on that one. I mean, there's some boobies. There are some boobies. And we have like weird sort of strippers in the beginning. Yeah, I think it was erotic in my mind because when I the thought of two Jake Gyllenhaals together, I assumed mm. that there would be some making out or something. Maybe it was just erotic in my head. Mm-hmm, there's mm-hmm. like that scene in the hotel room when he lifts his shirt up and it's like, keep going. <laughs> but no, none of that ever happened. So it is more like, of like a psychological thriller, I'd it, say. It's like the two Michael Fassbenders in that Alien movie. Sure. Where they're teaching each other to play the piccolo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or the fife or whatever the fuck it was mm. oh man to be that fife yeah so concerning jake gyllenhaal you're on team hit it then yeah 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 in this movie for sure there's there's been some later gyllenhaal that i've been like oh, okay but i don't know yeah i'm on it this in this movie why not you, so you're into early gyllenhaal yeah bubble, bubble boy. boy bubble boy <laughs> i don't think i ever actually saw bubble boy I don't think I did either. Was he of age? Like, can I watch it and partially lust for him and not have it be like the worst thing ever? I think he was of age in Donnie Darko, wasn't he? Potentially. I saw that movie when I was like 18. And I think that was like the last time I saw it when I was like prior to 21 years old. Yeah. I think he's pretty close to my age. I think he is my age. So. Okay. So he's a little older than me. Yeah. A lot older. So you're fine. (laughs) Hey, watch it. (laughs) So he's my father's age. (laughs) All right, that's it. Podcast over. <laughs> Go to your room. You're grounded. <laughs> no dessert. Okay, so no grinder for you tonight, young man. <laughs> but dad, there's some guy in town. <laughs> He's only here for the weekend. He says NSA fun. <laughs> oh, well, go straight to your room and tell me his handle, and then uh, don't log on. <laughs> so, enemy, enemy. I, I like this movie a lot more the second time through. Okay. I felt the first time through I didn't I watched it like a year or two ago and was kind of like, hmm. Okay. If uh, if memory serves, we talked about at the top of the show once on a podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Back when we did the What You Watching segment. Yeah. Yeah, and I remember being like, I like this, but I want to revisit it because there's just I think this is actually something that is also maybe a failing of uh, Blade Runner 2049, also directed by Denis Villeneuve, is that it's so dense and so much going on that you can't really get everything on one viewing. Yeah, so I wrote a review of it on Letterboxd a year or two before we started the podcast, Mm -hmm. and it's like a 500-word review, (laughs) and it's like, I'm only talking to myself on there. Like, that review is like simply for reference for me yeah and i didn't even i don't even give it that great of a review like i gave it like three out of five stars but then like wrote a thousand words on it because it is a head scratcher and it is one of those movies that doesn't hold your hand and it doesn't lay things out for you very nicely right i mean not that it's like needlessly obtuse but it's like it kind of just like presents something and it's like you figure it out yeah, and I almost feel like this time around when I was watching it, I kind of got some Shining vibes mm. in that there's, it doesn't make logical sense on purpose. Like, I don't think you can really come up with a full logical idea of what this movie's about without running into roadblocks on purpose, because I think it's supposed to be kind of frustrating in that way. So I understand why it doesn't get like, great reviews because of that i feel like people oftentimes like if you don't understand something you're just like well i don't like it because i didn't understand it or you think less of it because you didn't understand it but i would also argue 
that that's uh, also on purpose because there, uh, he wants you to think for yourself and come up with your own meaning for the film. Yeah. And I think there's evidence in the film that says that too, which I will get to. Okay. There's a lot of different avenues that you could approach this film with. Agreed. If you're looking at this as like a film as lit sort of mentality, which we roughly do with, you know, all movies, Mother's Boy, Teen Witch, Tipping the Velvet. (laughs) (laughs) Don't forget Extro. (laughs) But sort of depending on what angle you choose to approach it from you could kind of see it as that type of movie absolutely yeah which is another shining reference i would say sure shining sort of invites conspiracy theory whereas i think this like invites fable or parable or something like okay because this, this is the second time that i've watched it as well and i always view it as some sort of how can I make this really pretentious Kafka-esque view of relationships and career? Sure. Okay. Was that snooty enough for the listenership? I mean, yeah. You, I mean, you could have said, uh, uh, you know, some sort of like a treatise on oh. if you really wanted to up the snootiness. But yeah, that's good enough. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the This manifesto on <laughs> tumescence. Yes. There you go. <laughs> I went on Reddit, of all things, to find the, you know, like, different interpretations of this. And the, I feel like there's really three main ways that people kind of settle on with this. Uh, number one is that he is um, some sort of schizophrenic who has, like, a bifurcated life where he's actually one person living two lives. And, I, you know, this is what I thought the first time I watched this movie. And I was like, okay, there's going to be some Fight Club reveal at some point that it was like, it was both the same guy because you never see both of them in the same room with a third party yeah okay Mm -hmm. which i think you could make an argument for i I don't think that that's off the table you could also make an argument that this is a movie about one man's fear of commitment to relationships which you could also kind of like dovetail in with that other bifurcated life story you could also make the argument that this is a movie about totalitarian regimes and how that that's a pattern and how we, they sneak up on you and da 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 da. You could also make an argument that this is a movie about giant space spiders that are uh, infiltrating people's minds by cloning. And uh, mm. I think that's not entirely unvalid either. <laughs> so, yeah, I uh, I see where that fourth theory is coming from. <laughs> Can't say that I agree with it, but I like it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, put a pin in that one. <laughs> I think I kind of subscribe to the totalitarian regime one. I definitely subscribe so to the, the second theory, the one about fear of commitment, potentially. Yeah. But from my perspective, it's not necessarily a fear of commitment as it is sort of oscillating on that spectrum between wanting to be like in a committed relationship and having that, that sense of solidarity and that sense of... of uh, Permanence, or permanence, predictability, security. security. Those are all very good words for it. Thank you. Yeah. And then oscillating back to wanting to be free and wild, and you know, having your mistress that like leaves after the sex is done, sure. and things like that. Be an actor and stuff like that. And it, yeah, that's why I say that it also like plays into the career. He's got this, you know, steady, predictable job as a history teacher, or he's got like the romantic idealistic you know uh being a movie Artist star, star yeah and he oscillates between those two things because one jake gyllenhaal has the steady job and the mistress mm-hmm. the other jake gyllenhaal has 
the movie star i mean he's not a star he's like an the, extra the dream job or whatever. uh you know uh but the wife and baby right and the nice apartment and the nice apartment so when i look at it it's that each jake gyllenhaal has like one thing that's like trapping them mm-hmm. or securing them depending on how you're viewing it sure and another aspect that's freeing and liberating sure and that neither one of them is really happy where they are and that's where like the conflict between the two of them lies is that they both want something from the other one sure yeah yeah, yeah. and so that when they finally do meet and decide to switch then do they decide like <laughs> i feel like one of them's like i'm gonna do this and the other kind of reacts to it yeah but it all but it kind of works out for the other one mm-hmm and if you if you're subscribing to the idea that these aren't two separate people that it's just one then the responsible one the actual teacher taking on the responsibility of saying like okay this this guy needs to be killed off and i'm going to be accepting this responsibility of having a baby with this woman before we go too too much further do you think that there are one or two <sighs> i think it depends on which way i want to watch it okay because like i said the first time i watched it i was assuming it was one person and then one got killed off as like a mode of just trying to accept his responsibility this viewing that i watched it this time i I decided no i think it's more fun if you just think of them as two people it's just a fantasy element that you accept for this movie but i don't know I, i guess after i started reading about it afterwards i think maybe i do think it's just one guy okay I, I do kind of think that that makes the most sense. Okay. Do you care to back that up at all? Well, we never see them together with another person in the room. She, like, when Anthony, the actor, calls to Adam uh, and talks to him on the phone and hangs up, his wife is very, the pregnant wife is very um, unsure, doesn't believe him. Helen, I don't want to get into this. Are you seeing her again? I think you need to get something to eat. Let's go get something to eat. And then... I don't want to get anything. It was a man! It was a man! What do you think it was? A jealous husband? Yeah. So I think there's evidence there. I think that it makes sense that the reason that Adam, the teacher's girlfriend, finds out about him is that, like, the ring he was wearing, It's it, that makes sense that she may have not noticed that until that moment. Who are you? Also, the whole stuff with Isabella Rossellini as the mom saying like the blueberries, she serves him blueberries. He says, I hate blueberries. But earlier, uh, one of them, Anthony, like loves blueberries and puts them in a smoothie. Here. I don't like blueberries. Of course you do. And they're good for you. And also she just sort of like combines them into to one person so i think that it's possible that he is bifurcated in his mind but it is actually just one person mm. Hmm? i mean yeah that's all fine i i want to think it's two people but sure I, I think i'm on like the the uh side of like one person as well and in the instance of like the uh sort of tan line where the wedding ring would be i think that it's mostly because there was supposed to be like a, a period where the actor Hall wasn't seeing this mistress mm-hmm. 
And so he probably just had his wedding ring on for that time. Whereas like when he first met, you know, the mistress, Melanie Laurent of Inglorious Bastards. Yes. Fame, yeah. Yeah. She's great in this too. He may have been taking it off more often. So that mark may have faded. Sure. Or that maybe his fingers weren't as fat and like <laughs> he could take it off easier. That it, it's it all those blueberries. Yeah. And it hadn't like constricted around his finger quite yeah. the same yet. Because yeah, we don't we don't see them in the same room with a neutral third party ever. And and the blueberries is, is a good way to sort of oscillate between like the idea that like, he doesn't like them, but they're really healthy for him, so that's why he eats them. Yeah. It's not necessarily out of enjoyment, but it's because he knows that there are benefits to it and isabella rissolini calls him a third-rate actor at one point and it's like she calls the history teacher yeah she's like you should give up that career of or that stupid idea of being an an actor i think you should quit that fantasy being a third-rate movie actor she sort of is mushing them together Mm -hmm. they both have the same scar yeah that's i mean how convenient is that do you have a scar on your chest you do, don't you? But then the question is, and we won't be jumping ahead, but like when one of them dies tragically, yeah, that can't be taken literally then. That has to be a, a symbolic thing that we're seeing. That's what I think, yeah. Yeah? Yeah. It's a one car, car crash. He hears it on the radio, the discussion of it. Mm-hmm. And so in his mind, maybe he's just like, yeah, that's how Anthony died. He died in that car crash. That's oh. what I'm going to decide. Okay. And then that's because right after that is when we get this like crazy end reveal that lots of people love to talk about. But um, so I got, I got some theories on that too. That's when he's realized that like, oh God, this what have I done by killing him off? Do we want to talk about the spiders? Before we jump to spiders real fast, I want to say um, this idea of totalitarian regimes is not my original idea. It was first posed by Forrest Wickman writing for Slate. And he has an interesting thing uh, about it where it's like, we're first introduced to Adam, the history professor, and he's lecturing about totalitarian regimes. Every dictatorship has one obsession, and that's it. So in ancient Rome, they gave the people bread and circuses. They kept the populace busy with entertainment. But other dictatorships use other, other strategies to control ideas. The knowledge. How do they do that? Lower education. They limit culture. Censor information. They censor any means of individual expression. They take away access to education. They uh, limit information. And they uh, limit... uh, individual expression uh for more information watch the final scene of z yeah (laughs) there you go uh no edward albee for us (laughs) what is another way of saying you know your your individual freedom is being taken away or expression other than finding someone who looks exactly fucking like you and like living your life you know what i mean like how creepy and weird would that be to, to find a twin of you living a different life. Like, you'd feel like you weren't an individual anymore, you know? So I was thinking, like, that makes a lot of sense hmm. on this viewing, too. I'll, I'll, I'll come back. We'll, we'll circle back. Don't worry. Let's talk about spiders. <laughs> so, I mean, it's not like there's spiders all over the fucking movie. There's just, like, a few choice scenes that involve spiders. Sure. One is the very beginning... Jake Gyllenhaal, we're not sure 
which incarnation of Gyllenhaal. We, well, we do know because he has the ring finger on, so it's Anthony. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. I noticed that this time. All right. Uh, but we think it might be the history professor. And yeah, because we're introduced as a character, the, the history professor first. Right. But I guess if we're seeing Anthony first, uh, that does sort of make a difference. Yeah. But he kind of goes to this sort of weird eyes wide shut sort of sex club strip club thing yeah you know it's not there's no words it's like five minutes of dialogue free just going through this strange nightclub thing yeah a lot of men just looking at stuff there's like a woman masturbating and uh, eventually he gets to this um big long table banquet table looking thing and there's men seated all around it and somebody brings out a tray a serving dish and pulls off the lid and there's a tarantula under it and then this woman scantily clad or not at all is she naked i can't remember now all the women start out wearing like these silk robes and then they take them off to just be wearing like skivvies yeah just like lingerie or underwear or strappy high heels yes and then she comes and she steps on it yeah like it's not like the thing squishes in front of us but that's definitely the implication is that she steps yeah. on it. That is a big fucking spider to squish. Yeah. Like we get those, you know, giant house spiders out here, which, you know, are what is that? The size of a silver dollar pancake maybe. And even those it's too much to squish. Uh-huh. For me, you know, uh-huh. I like catch them under glass and set them free because I can't. Mm-hmm. So I can't imagine squishing a full fucking tarantula with your, with your foot. Yeah. In your stiletto. Mm. I would use the heel. She uses the toe part. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. <laughs> if you do it with the heel, it might live. You're not, you know. Do its head. You stab it through the head. Spiders don't have big heads. You'd most likely just get it through the torso. Mm. I'm uncomfortable. <laughs> uh, the next scene is just sort of almost like a interstitial cut. It's sort of like this big, like, War of the Worlds type spider. Oh, wait, well, well, yeah. Well, there's that one. But then before that is the woman walking down the hallway. She's like walking on the ceiling down the hallway and you only see just like this naked body walking towards you. And then uh, suddenly she catches the light and she's got this crazy spider head. Oh. And then she turns and we see that it's one of the Gyllenhaals and he wakes up. I think it's Adam who wakes up from that dream. Okay. Yeah. And then it's the war of the worlds. Yeah. Where like it really has, I mean, it it has an importance in the film, but like if you were to cut it out, I feel like the movie would still be the same. Yeah. But it's just sort of this like weird alien spider thing, sort of lumbering across the cityscape. Over Toronto, yeah. But it seems like that could be written off as a dream sequence too, though, because I think he wakes up or something right after that too. Yeah. yeah. Like, like there's nothing there. <sighs> you know, spoiler alert, but there's a spider at the end. <laughs> A big spider. And Jake Gyllenhaal reacts to that spider not in a way that I would react to a giant spider. Yeah, he just kind of sighs. Yeah. Do you have a theory on the spider? Does yeah. the spider mean... Sure, why sure, don't sure. you go first? Because I'm... It's been like 48 hours since I've seen this movie and I'm still sort of collecting my thoughts on the spider. Yeah. I mean, I would argue if you're tackling this movie like it's um, him putting away all those sort of fears of 
commitment and security and stuff and saying like, no, we're going to make a go for this with my pregnant wife by killing off this other character that I've created. And he's like ready to do that. You know, he's, he's, he's done that. But then he walks in the bedroom and sees this giant spider. It's him realizing that like either like this is my life now and I have to get used to this fear that I have or B, great, now I'm going to split my life again. And I think spiders are a great imagery for that sort of because, you know, there's this there's a whole lot of like subconscious feeling going on in this movie. And if you think of spiders that like our fear of them is very subconscious. You yeah, know? spiders don't like despite movies like uh, arachnophobia, spiders don't have a huge history of like harming people necessarily. Yeah. Like if you think about how many, you know thousands times bigger you are than one yeah like it's very irrational to be of something that small my poop is bigger than most spiders you (laughs) know like also like spiders have a huge benefit as they like kill most obnoxious insects yeah like if it wasn't for spiders we'd be overrun with flies and mosquitoes and all sorts of shit like that like They actually are very beneficial to, like, any sort of habitat. But, I mean, we still have this visceral reaction to seeing one of, like, ugh, it makes your skin crawl. They are super creepy looking, yeah. So, um, I think that that's sort of maybe, like, what he's saying there is that, like, he has this gut feeling and fear of this commitment, but he's trying to maybe overcome it finally. Sure. Possibly. So, all right, I'm going to ramble here. Help me stay on course. All right. My theory is that because spiders are also synonymous with webs, okay, that the spiders represent being trapped in a way, whether it's being trapped in your job, whether it's being trapped in your marriage or by your family. And, you know, that once you are trapped, you lose control over these aspects of your life to a degree. Sure, sure, sure. So the very beginning in this weird, dark sex club or whatever it is, and we have this stripper lady, she discards her robe, which I think is symbolic of the household's domesticity. Sure. Okay. She discards it to be this sexy lady in her her lingerie, and she steps on the spider. And I think that this is sort of a, a... Symbolic of the mistress destroying domestic captivity, we'll say. Okay. You know, the the dream sequence could play into that as well, with the, the naked lady walking. Like, sure. And then the end scene with the big spider and him sort of looking at it and accepting it plays into it because, and I'm sure you know people like this too, some people are always in relationships I mean, not just serial monogamous, but just some people who just don't know how to be single. And some people like the trap. And some people will stay in a bad job because it's got a good health plan. It's got a pension. It's got a retirement plan. Mm -hmm. So they might hate the job, but they like the benefits of it. Uh, They they like the trap, you know. Yeah, at least Uh, you know what you're getting. Yeah, so for me, the, it is Jake Gyllenhaal sort of like the movie is him fighting against the trap. And at the end, he's accepting it. He sees that big spider and he's just like, okay. Yeah. I think we're kind of saying similar things. Yeah. We're, our, our theories aren't 
terribly far removed from one another. Yeah. But even on second viewing, it just solidified this feeling for me. Like sure. I, I had these sort of theories the first time that I watched it and watching it this time, I, I really didn't find too much to dissuade me from it. Okay. I think that plays into this idea of uh, living under a totalitarian regime. Because, you know, if you think about it, you know, there were certain people who uh, who voted la, la, in the November 20, 2016 election who were like, well, at least we know what we're getting with this guy, even though he's a piece of shit. You know, so they're just like flies that are happy to be in the web, maybe. On that topic, I think it was Bill Clinton who, who said that um, liberals want to fall in love, conservatives want to fall in line. And when he's talking about how these totalitarian regimes strive to control the masses and the tactics that they use in order to do this, I was thinking, I was like, but like if the masses don't want to be controlled, they won't. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, some people want to be controlled. Like that's really what it comes down to is that yeah. it, it's not that, you know, the populace is, is all waiting to rebel. It's that. 48 to 52% of them want to be controlled. Yeah. That to me plays into the idea that like uh, a marriage kid study job is sort of a trap. Sure. And that some people like it and that Jake Gyllenhaal's character characters struggle to oscillate inside this idea of being controlled, but having the benefits of it. Yeah. And if you think about it, there's, those first shots of uh, Professor Jake Gyllenhaal, there's a shot of him traveling on the bus, and we see these low shots of all the like trolley or bus line, electrical lines that looks like webs. You see him walking through this square where uh, the cobblestones go out in a circular pattern looking like a web, mm-hmm. um, while there's this graffiti on the wall of like a person in a business suit giving a fascist salute. Okay. So it's all kind of like, you know, this is what's surrounding him, this world, uh, you know, society telling... Oh, there's also like the building that he chose to be teaching in is all this brutalist architecture, so it's all it's this the like... the spiral thing. Yeah, yeah. like concrete slabs, just looks very cold. Um, it all kind of harkens back to that idea of this like conform feeling you know yeah because he quotes Karl Marx at some point which I mean Karl Marx didn't intend to usher in a totalitarian regime but (laughs) he kind of did yeah it plays into that a little bit and the other guy was was it Hegel Hegel yeah I guess he has writing about how change happens in a spiral because the pendulum doesn't just swing back and forth in like a straight line it's like it kind of like goes like a Z shape? Yeah, maybe like it or a zigzag. It it just goes like a degree or two off and like bef- you know, after a while it's suddenly swinging. Yeah. Instead of forward and backwards, it's swinging left and right. I have a very basic understanding of Hegel and it's like one of his main things was like you have this idea of thesis and then there's a reaction to it which is the antithesis which leads to a synthesis eventually. Okay. So which would explain like why the pendulum would swing kind of in a circle. I mean that also plays into our two characters then because they're they're living opposite lives sure. and they're merged at the end then as well. Yeah, which wh- when he finally gets that key at the very end, I don't know if you noticed but it had Unica written on it. U N I C A. And I looked that up. And it is the feminine Portuguese adjective for unique or only. Unique or only. Okay. So 
that tells me that at that point he is back to being one. Mm. Do we ever figure out what that key is for? I, th- I assume that was just to go back to the spider room because that's oh. how we got in in the first place. <laughs> he had a okay. key. You know, I don't yeah. Know. But, you know, and, and like the reason that this totalitarian stuff like keeps coming back is because the author. Oh, shit. I didn't write his name down. Jose Sara. Sara. Oh, no. Jose Sara something. He also wrote a, mo- a book called Blindness, which was made into a movie starring Julianne Moore. From oh, I heard that was terrible. I know, I know, I know. Same author, but... um. Anyway, he, you know, he's Portuguese and he lived under a totalitarian regime for like 40 something years. Oh. And um, there's an, another hint in that uh, when Adam, the professor Gyllenhaal, goes to seek out actor Gyllenhaal, the address of the place where he's going to find him is 74 or something, blah, blah, blah. And you see the address on the building very prominently. 1974 was the year that there was a military coup and an uprising in Portugal to overthrow that totalitarian regime. Okay. So I feel like that's not a mistake. I feel like that's very intentional. Okay. And then, I mean, I'm going to go ahead and say, I think that Denis Villeneuve is making the argument that film in general, that he, the director, is an authoritarian. Like he is presenting, he's presenting to you this thing and that's why he's so quick to dodge questions about what this movie's about. Oh, is he? Yeah, because like he wants to limit your information on it. Like he wants, he's kind of you forcing... only see what he wants you to see. Yeah, and in that way, he's sort of forcing us by not giving us a lot of information, sort of forcing the audience to think for ourselves. Yeah, because I mean, with film, like you know, the the movie is only what's in frame. Yeah. If it's not in frame, then really it doesn't exist inside this world. And he's in very much in control of all that. Mm-hmm. And so I think by asking us to maybe relate with uh, Adam, the, the professor, you know, he says early on, he says, I don't like movies. I don't go out that much. I don't, I don't really like movies. We've also heard from him that like, oh, Rome controlled people by giving them entertainment and bread, you know, like what's that other than popcorn and movies, you know? So he's, he's saying that we're supposed to, you know, well, the Trump starts giving me popcorn and movies. So I'll <laughs> take a different tune. He'd make terrible movies. Come on. Oh, they'd be, uh, oh, they'd probably be really violent. And you know, these would be like Kim Jong Il levels. <laughs> I know he loved movies, but they were bad. I'm sure. But yeah, but then, you know, he's just, he's forcing, he's saying, like, think for yourself, figure this out for yourself, and uh, don't don't be a slave to what I think you should be thinking about Rage this. against the machine. Exactly. <laughs> I don't know. I, th- this is all, like, loosely strung together from really thinking hard about this movie, and I like that it's this rich upon thinking. I don't know if it, like all comes together though no and even though like the movie gives me a lot to chew on and like i did like think about it it movie's hard to think about because it's kind of slow yeah not a lot happens i one review i i like how they put it it's deliberately paced oh yeah there you go and i definitely found myself getting bored sometimes mm-hmm. there's just huge stretches in the middle where i'm like okay like let's just move it along now which, I mean, it, it, it's funny to say that after, like, a movie that, like, has clearly provoked, like, a lot of thought from both of us. Yeah. But it is real slow. <laughs> like, 
and it's only like 90 minutes but like you feel that clock ticking by or at least i did i felt really engaged with it this time but i think i was nervous about having presenting it here so i think that's why i was maybe Mm. really trying to make sure i knew what i was watching like i said i think that this is a little bit overstuffed i think he could have pared it back a little bit okay and i like i mean i like the look of the film a lot too we haven't talked about that yet the like yellow i was gonna say sometimes a little too yellow for me yeah it's kind of like phlegmy yeah it's like supposed to make you feel uncomfortable it's like i I spilled my tea over the film (laughs) yeah it works a lot a lot of the times like villeneuve is no slouch when it comes to beautiful cinematography sure i mean just look at blade runner the new one yeah look great Although I'll give that credit to Roger Deakins, the DP. But mm-hmm. I mean, most of his movies are pretty good looking. Yeah. And like that movie, it just feels, I don't know, like I, I couldn't form a full opinion on it with one watch because it's like it needs several watches. Yeah. And it's also kind of one of those movies that like just gives the finger to an opinion. <laughs> like, yeah, it doesn't really care if you liked it or not. <laughs> like this movie's going to be the movie it wants to be. Yeah. I like that about it. Yeah. Now, in my original letterbox review, like I definitely said, like I look forward to seeing this movie. I still think I only give it like three out of five stars. But like in three or four years, if I had to watch it again, I'd be fine with that. Yeah, it almost feels more interesting, like from an academic level. Like if you're teaching somebody about, like, here's what a theme is, you know, <laughs> like it almost feels like something that would blow a teenager's mind if you had you were using it to teach I mean, somebody but like it, yeah, it's not it's not something i'm like oh i can't wait to put enemy on again <laughs> yeah you know double feature enemy sacrifice there's your friday nights <laughs> i did buy this one so come on over kids <laughs> i got bread <laughs> <laughs> i can't wait for movie marathon at the whedon house <laughs> enemy you only live twice house of versace uh, you'll be happy to know i bought basic instinct rock and rule <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Oh, basic. Okay, well, you got one crowd pleaser in there. <laughs> We're gonna do an all freaking night at Ryan Wheaton's house. <laughs> if I was teaching a film as lit class, I'd be like, "All right, watch this. What does the spider mean?" And I'd hit play, and I'd go and play Sudoku in the corner for <laughs> ninety minutes. We'll talk about it on Thursday. <laughs> yeah, five hundred word minimum. It's a meaty movie. If you like Denis Villeneuve, it's uh, required viewing. I was going to say, you described him as a powerhouse director last week. I think he is. I mean, this was actually, he's actually a director that kind of united us at the beginning of this podcast because you were, I think you sent me a text that was like, what are you, what do you like? Like, what kind of movies do you like? And I think the, I think the only thing I sent back was like, or no, I think I asked you, I was like, what are you into? And you said, well, I've really been into the movies of Denis Villeneuve and I didn't know that he had directed the movie that I said. I was like, well, I really liked Sicario. <laughs> and you're like, he directed that. Wow. I was like, no way. And I've gone back and watched a lot of his movies. And I think he's just great. I don't know. He really gives you a lot to think about and uh, shows it beautifully. He can be a little dense sometimes, but I don't know. I think, this is, I think he's going to go down as one of the better directors of the last 10, 20 years for sure. I agree with you. Like, I, I feel at this point he has enough strong films under his belt that he will at least be seen as a titan for a decade or or so like when people look at the aughts or the teens he'll be seen as sort of one of the the big directors at that time you know the way that you know will william friedkin still made great movies after the 1970s 
But like when we think of them, we think of Exorcist, we think of French Connection, and you know, if you're a film buff, you think of Sorcerer. Sure. You know, you don't necessarily think of the movies you did afterwards, even if they are good. Like To Live and Die in L.A. is a great movie. We both like Killer Joe. You know, he's got a handful of other good movies too. Yeah. We just don't think of it. Like when we think of William Friedkin, we think of the 1970s. Same with like Peter Bogdanovich or someone like that. Like there's just like a specific era that we think of. And I think that with the teens, Denise Villeneuve will be seen as like one of those great directors, Absolutely. at least from that era. I agree. Well, should I tell you what I got in store for us next week? Yes, you should. It pains me. It, it really does. I've, I've had a lot of fun this season exploring the bowels of sexy shockers. Uh-huh. And next week it comes to a close. Oh. Uh, the finale of my erotic thriller exploration. We'll be doing the, depending on how you look at it, the fantastic movie Poison Ivy <laughs> featuring a fresh out of rehab Drew Barrymore. As uh, the foul temptress. <sighs> wow. Okay. Yes. Uh, isn't uh, what's her name from Roseanne in this? Sarah Gilbert. Sarah Gilbert. Yes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Absolutely. I remember something with a swing. There is a swing. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's about it. Okay. I don't remember too much more about it. Well, good. I like it when you go in fresh. <laughs> this could. I'm nervous. Are you? A little bit. Because it's two 17-year-olds in an erotic thriller. Yeah. And you're already turned on by Sarah Gilbert. <laughs> I uh, regularly fap to Roseanne. <laughs> oh, <gross>. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever characters on screen. Yeah, any of them. The whole cast. <laughs> oh, Lori Metcalf. <laughs> anyway... <laughs> Next week, Poison Ivy. Looking forward to it. All right, let's plug our junk. Get the fuck out of here. Yes, please. Rate, review, subscribe. Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. We'd love to hear what you think of us in word form. You can also follow us on Twitter. That's at X-Rated Movies. Lots of fun stuff there. We tweet. We tell you what's coming out. Yeah, sometimes you hear saucy details about my public blowjob, so... (laughs) That's always fun. Mm, everyone wants to hear those. <laughs> Follow us on Facebook, at Rated X Movies. There's videos and stuff. You know we, you know how Facebook works. By the way, shout out to Travis Wellborn. No. A no. fellow non-salted no. caramel lover. Thank you, Travis. Thank you. <laughs> Uh, he didn't get to vote in that online poll either, so. That's because he doesn't follow us on Twitter, apparently. <laughs> I think it was just because, you know, voter registration was... Uh, oh, yeah, it's real hard. purged from the rolls because <laughs> he hadn't voted in an online poll in a while, so not very fair. And there wasn't a same day of registration. You know, it's clear voter suppression. <laughs> anyway, uh, you can also send us an email if you like. It's x.rated.movies at gmail.com. And go to our website, xratedmovies.com. It's got literally everything we've ever done, ever. Mm-hmm. And it's looking really... Really nice these days. Thanks for keeping that up, Matt. Yeah, you're welcome. You can uh, see uh, Ryan's picks all on one page, and you can see some better picks on another page. Uh, (laughs) How dare you? 
I think that's it. Okay. Uh, we'll see you next week then for Poison Ivy. Sounds good. Bye. Bye.